from the 305 to the 303, this is TCSP. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Brian and the Cadbury Serious Band. Welcome to the Casually Serious Podcast Fixtape Time Capsule. Tonight, we focus on the hits from 1986. Oh yeah, sorry. That was I was not um, I wasn't doing the Dr. Brian there at all. I don't know what you saw. Um, so yeah, welcome, welcome to the 1986 version of the mixtape. Um, this is this is definitely retro as hell, man. How how you digging this, man? How you feeling? Are you feeling old? Or are you feeling young by seeing this right now, Ken? Man, first off, I mean, big ups to our graphic team. I mean, what was <laughs> that? I felt like I was in pole position coming into the <laughs> intro in this tonight. This was fantastic, man. How do you get ready any better than that than just jumping back into some old school ar- arcade eighties just wonderfulness? That's all it is to me. You know, I'm an eighties. Yeah. I'm a eighties kid. Obviously, like yourself, we we love the 80s. We love the 90s. That's our time frame. 86, this particular year, when we were just looking back at just albums and when they came out, this year just struck us, completely struck us for the amount of just incredible music that came out in 1986. So we just happened upon this time capsule. Happens to be 35 years later, exactly. So what do we got in there, man? It's kind of crazy, man. Um, <clears throat> a word that I'm using, <clears throat> excuse me, for the sheer amount of albums. And again, we could not cover all of them. We're, we're choosing about ten, and there's most of them are there uh, that are the list that are on the list are basically big sellers from that year. A couple are the ones that we like too, but there was just such a and the word I'm using is staggering amount of amazing albums from bands that were coming. Now this is sort of reaching the end of like the '80s new wave pop thing where you start seeing like men without hats third album or some weird shit like that like whoever right. knew they even had anything past a first album if i'm being honest <laughs> um but there's a lot of weird a lot of stuff on there there's some depeche mode and um you know some uh, uh i believe the smiths there's a lot of stuff on there but we only were going to pick about 10 of them um out of the whole pile uh af- after we crack them open so I'm, I'm kind of excited to see really what that what that brings to us but we also have to bring someone in here to help us dig it. Uh, and uh, what better dude to help us dig through the uh, the time capsule from 1986 than our brother, Jay? What is up, Jay? Was it really 35 years ago? Only if you do math. <laughs> and that was only 86, you know? That was oh, only 86. There's more beyond Sarah's, that. Sarah's out here saying uh, that she was in kindergarten, which, you know, listen, you don't have to. I don't have to hear that. Thanks for watching, young lady. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for showing up for real, though. But yeah, man, this year was insane. Uh, Jay, let me ask you right off the bat, before we get into some of these records, would you have any uh, specific memories of the year 1986? Uh, sixth grade. I was 12 years old. Um, it was the first year I think I was getting like an allowance that I could spend on myself. So that's when music really came in, was I had money of my own every Friday to go to specs and buy music. Um, I think because 
because of my age, I was allowed to go farther on my bicycle, which allowed me to, to ride all the way to the mall to get the music. So it, yeah, sixth grade was a, 86 was a huge year, man. Huge year. Ken, man, how about you, man? Anything, anything that pops out? You know, considering I, I grew up literally with this dude, um, I was with him going to Specs and getting all of this. Specs being our local music store, by the way, people are like, "What the hell's that place?" Gotcha. But right. for for sure, um, that really what he, what he's saying is dead on. We we had money in our pockets and we could actually go and get music. We were more interested in music. The type of music that was coming out uh, was really catching our eye. And a lot of our friends, usually a year or two older than us, but still kind of close within our group. We're introducing us to a lot of this, and 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 Bob, you you were one of those guys actually. So it, it was great having the group of people around us that we did to help influence us into the into the music we started listening to so young. Yeah, I know that that year in particular that we're talking about, um, obviously nineteen eighty six. That was the year that I met my uh, my now wife. And, Which is awesome. Uh, Who can yeah, say that? Crazy, crazy, <laughs> and and definitely. The music was just, we were all listening to so many different things. And as I'm looking at the background that I've got, the background that you've got, Ken, you know, we grew up in Miami during the 80s. So the kind of stuff that people look as retro is just like Miami stuff to us. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I try we to talk, yeah. right. I talked to people like who were are, are my age when I moved to Texas, like, hey, what was like the retro era for you guys? And they were like, what do you mean, man? Like, all right, well, maybe it just was. <laughs> maybe it was just like California and Florida that embraced that because there really weren't a lot of palm trees out there in Texas. I didn't remember seeing them. And even the neon under the cars. I mean, we had the neon under the cars so early. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go to other states and see it like well, the 90s or something. And people, hey, check that. I'm like, y'all still have that? No, I mean, that's, that's done. <laughs> We're over with that. Hey, there's specs. So we got um, a little specs music store. Crazy thing. My, uh, my wife's mom knows... Uh, the Spectres very well, who are the owners of that place. And uh, it was actually my wife's first job, the, the, the same store, the exact location you were speaking of. Where my wife, yeah, yeah, she actually, uh, but I actually have had dinner with them and we talk, it's very, it's very crazy not to keep talking to them about the That's awesome so cool. music store that we all grew up going to. We all them going, yeah, whatever. It's like, uh, we but slept yeah, it, there. We slept, we slept in the we slept, back we waiting the for alley. tickets for concerts. Slept, I mean, slept terrible. out in the alley behind them and to get what's up, Andrew. Yeah, that was really oh, all the only. Man, yeah, we didn't, was we didn't have no internet, man. We had, you know, you had to hope that they, you, had, you got yourself yeah. a Ticketmaster location, and you're good. Yeah. Now the first one there, <laughs> we'd sleep out in our spots basically in line in the morning. Everybody would be cool and just, mm -hmm. you know, we had we always had fun doing that. I, I don't know how our parents let us do that. I don't think they did, they, but they we figured out a way. Yeah, whatever. Parents we, didn't we let me do shit. I mean, I just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. if I got away with doing anything, I, I was at a couple functions now. where your mom showed up, and that scared the hell out of me, man. I'll tell yeah. you that. You okay? <laughs> That's how bad it was. You for you, you if it scared you got to me, leave. you got to leave <laughs> because it wasn't at your house. That's you true. didn't do oh, time yeah. like I did uh, at my house because of that. Yeah, I didn't see that, you for like two and a half years after that. Yeah, that was kind it of was actually almost a full year where I didn't leave my house <laughs> other than to go to school. That's if a I whole even show. did that. That's a whole show by itself, right there, man. <laughs> yes, it is actually. So listen, That's without further ado, let's let's dive into some of these records, guys. I know that we're um, we had a huge we had a, a big batch, obviously, that we had to go through. We looked at some of the ones that sold amazingly well. There's really nothing on here that we put on the list. Uh, that we pulled off that sold well just because we wanted to put something on the list. There was just, we tried to figure out what we can squeeze in a time limit right now. So uh, without further ado, let's roll with the first one. And this is actually one of my favorite records uh, of really from Run DMC of all time, Raising Hell. 
anybody who knows this album knows kind of what it was a turning point for these guys. They were they were kind of moving away from the old school uh, rap that they were doing and really progressing a little bit more. Uh, Peter Piper, it's tricky. My Adidas is one of the best. Walk this way that uh you know the the crossover with Aerosmith, which was a huge commercial success. Uh, you be Illin, and we have to also talk about Dumb Girl, which is the mm-hmm. song that you play in your car to show off the bass that you just got. At least that's the way it was where we grew up. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a lot of tester songs out there, <laughs> but uh, that was one of them. And it was also something really funny to play with a dumb girl in your car. Because um, <laughs> if they didn't get the joke, it was even cooler. Even better. Uh, but yeah, Ken, man, you got any you got any memories of that album? Man? I mean, obviously, we all know about the Aerosmith crossover, but there's right. some other deep cuts in there people might not remember. No, this album was huge for me, too, because it really got me into some of the rap that you know, that I was still listening, obviously, to a lot of rock and roll. And this music to me was great because lyrically it was fun. I mean, just fun. You, you could laugh with it. You could, you know, you can go along with the stories and they were always just fun. The beats were insane. I mean, if you're not bobbing your head to anything that's there laying down, uh, then then you're not you're not paying attention to the music because this album in particular, I think they, they really showed themselves as a group. Um, but for me at that age, it was this was the perfect album and it's it's a lot of fun I haven't listened to it in a really long time you hear some of the it's tricky obviously everyone knows it walk this way but um you be illin was like just absolutely one it was a hilarious song I and mean, i knew word for word and just recited hilarious parts of that always people had no idea what i was talking about i always found that pretty funny and listening back to it recently um, really makes me appreciate what i liked it for but at the same time i see why i liked it at you know the age i was at the time as well I'm not sure it aged well. I feel like it was just a song about uh, two people or one person, whoever was talking at the time, completely bullying and shaming somebody <laughs> with really mental health was. issues, really, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> if, if you fucking listen to the lyrics, dude, the guy didn't have it. I mean, every different scenario is probably a mentally challenged person. So, yeah, it was a, definitely a tougher time back there, kids. Don't 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 cancel us. We've only have a few episodes. I don't want to do that. We're, we're coming Jay, to our, you have any our memories? realization now. You know, or... I just remember Kenny Ken constantly playing this album and singing and dancing to it so th- that's my dancing. right here any of it you call yeah. me out on the dancing dancing in, in your living room with cardboard but i did it too so it was a it was an embarrassing time to be a little white kid, so. <laughs> <laughs> thanks jay thanks for calling me out on there are some Monday grand times dancing. in our life where we were very happy to be yeah know, yeah no that's that, the whole like the entire summer at Kenny's house that was basically the soundtrack coming out of his room uh, and it was everywhere I, it was yeah. it was everywhere man that yeah. and it was all over it I, was all over i know there was a video for uh, ub illin on mtv yeah, for yeah. sure which was hilarious mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah and mtv played a huge part mtv really when they used to play videos really introduced me to a lot of stuff that i didn't know so what was 84 wasn't that or uh, was it 84 that mtv i, I don't know yeah let's, but i didn't i didn't 84 is when we got it on cable. We got it in like the beginning of fifth grade, but I didn't really pay attention to it until basically Headbangers Ball, when I was like, "Oh, what's this?" And they're playing other stuff, and and it was different. It was it was hip hop. It was a bunch of black guys. It wasn't August first. It isn't what my parents listened to, obviously. So it was new and different and cool. And Kenny loved it. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. 19, that 1981. You had to to it so much. <laughs> 81 was when MTV came out. So this is, is that this is the absolute peak. I don't know if when we got it, but it was yeah, when it was yeah. founded. So you know, we're talking 86 was obviously we know this. The reason why most of these albums were massive hits were because every single album had at least two or three massive singles on MTV that were happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And including catchy, catchy this one. Videos. Yes, extremely extreme. Like like you know, one that, that's off of this one, right? Ken, you're gonna take this one. Ah, yes, yes, yes. My favorite. My boys. Bon Jovi. Buddy. Let me tell you, this, this, this band and this album in particular, I mean, three top ten singles with two at number one. That's incredible. Spend eight weeks at number one, 38 weeks in the top five. And a best-selling album in 1987. All right, this album came out in 1986. But it was the best-selling album in 1987. That's how great this album was. And, I mean, I don't think anyone really can deny there's anthems on, on this Dead album that, that actually stand the test of time to this no day. They're played in stadiums, and entire crowds of people sing along as soon as the music stops. I've seen this in stadium after stadium with Living on a Prayer. I mean, this is just stuff people know. People who don't even realize they know, they know. And when the music stops, they're like, oh, my God, I'm singing along because I know the song. This is a great album. I mean, it, it, not mm-hmm. just in everything it won and anything it accomplished otherwise. You know, musically, I mean, Sambora is fantastic. The meld of the two of them with their mm-hmm. songwriting is spectacular. But at the end of the day, it's not like technically a great album. They're not technically just, you know, incredible musicians. There's better bands than this group. Um, there's better singers than Bon Jovi. But the way that this went together and when it did, how it did, played out so perfectly. Uh, it, couldn't, it couldn't have been a better album. And it was absolutely my favorite at the time. I want to talk about Earn DMC playing it a lot. I'm, I'm sure I did, but this was the band that I just was, I was all about. And it really wasn't until Iron Maiden, until I really saw what Iron Maiden was, that kind of drew me away from some of this. And I, I didn't go that direction. It went more towards the metal at that time. But this band, I still, to this day, I, I really love. And, and this album is spectacular. You know what? You're guaranteed to have a Manhattan spilled on you from some drunk Karen um, <laughs> to this particular song. Definitely. Yes. I, that one in particular. Um, there's a lot on there, like you said. I, on the other hand, didn't like it at all, man. I, um, But I'll tell you one thing. It, what it is was I remember noticing this was the first time in my life where I started noticing that chicks dig rock and roll and, and some of the music that I – because seriously, it was like – you know, girls don't like Rush at all anyway. Back then, I loved Rush, and they were like, fuck right. those people. Like, there was really nothing. I mean, we're talking about the antithesis of this was like Madonna and some of the other pop stuff that was very strong in the female eye. So to find out that some girls were wearing tasseled leather jackets in our junior high because of this band, right. I definitely was like, wow, that's cool. But I just didn't. It was too soft for me, man. Compared to Slayer and the other stuff that we had going <laughs> on at the time, I didn't, I didn't love it, man. What about you, Jay? I- can't deny the good the good music the songwriting yeah looking they're, back they're a really good band and more than anything they have a great image and they put out good videos catchy videos and mpv played them five times a day if not more so yeah wanted dead or alive though. is still one wanted dead or alive is still one of my favorite songs off that album like not my not my cup of tea that band but undeniable musicianship you know even i die for you 
Never Say Goodbye. Like those are songs mm -hmm. I know. And and I'm telling you right now, I don't love that band, but I know 80% of this album because of how oh. immensely popular and successful it was, man. I mean, it, it's I, I couldn't get away from it. I, and I guess at some point I didn't want with the kind of girls that were digging it, I wasn't really trying to get away from it, but I wasn't buying tickets. <laughs> you couldn't get away from it. <laughs> it <laughs> and I it wasn't did. trying to seek it out. Yeah, I can honestly great. say I've never seen him live, though. As much as I liked Bon Jovi, I've I never went to a show. And I really, I guess, wasn't into doing that just yet at that age. You know, it wasn't until I got into heavier music that I started going to you know rock shows. But I never saw Bon Jovi live. And I really don't care to. But I still like that album. Yeah. yeah. And they, and won't, play, they won't play anything from that album now. Anything. Really? He totally what? did. He won't even talk about that entire era of his career. Oh, he wants nothing. I don't understand nothing, musicians. Nothing to do with that. He, he wants to be No, he wants to be Bruce Springsteen. He he doesn't want to be '80s hair anymore. He wants to be the take me seriously, hardworking guy from New Jersey. Good for him. Yeah. Hey, you know, he keep do trying. It. He could do it. He, he still sells out stadiums around the world. So keep yeah, trying. Yeah, but they're going to play this music, man. If he stops playing this music, and who's going to go to that shit? How do you not play "Living on a Prayer"? That's ridiculous. How do you sing? How do you sing "Living on a Prayer" at this age? At, at, at his age, actually, right now, it's just something you know. That's I, true too. There's some things that could hold up, and I and you know we 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 see a lot of metal shows now for, of of bands that we saw back then that could hold on to it. But I mean, I don't know that it's probably just tougher. And again, I think I think um, Sambora was definitely his Jerry Cantrell in that band. Yeah, I don't I, know if I, agree. I don't know I that mean, you could have both of them. He doesn't do that. Them. Right, he doesn't do that with that album. Isn't that album without Richie? So no doubt they both had to had to be together, both in songwriting and music. But but I think I thought the big the craziest thing just looking into it was that they were the best album in '87. I mean '87 had Michael Jackson's Bad, Appetite for Destruction, Joshua Tree. This album beat all of those yeah, in those record sales big. in '87. That's pretty amazing, man. Whew. Yeah, and again we can't. We can't uh, discount what they did for the chicks. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, of hey, hey. nice segue. We're going to jump right into dark. poison. Look what the cat dragged in. Now, there's like absolutely her. no way back in He's our hot. day when you were flipping through these rec the records section at your local specs or Sam Goody or wherever the heck you want, got your records back in the day, you stopped and were like, oh shit, is this. Uh, is this a uh, vixen? Is this, uh, you know, possibly another a girl school another chick rock or, band? Yeah, I mean, what what do we got going on here? Holy shit, they're dudes! All right, okay, look, and I'll, this is not homophobia. You, everyone who knows me, understands this. It is utter confusion. I'm saying to myself, thirteen-year-old me was a confused young man. <laughs> we got to talk about confusion, mother. At, at some point, I said to myself, why? Are you you there's no way chicks are gonna think you're hot if you dress like this? And then I got fooled because <laughs> chicks loved them. And again, I'm gonna throw that the, I'm gonna throw them in a pile with Bon Jovi, which I don't even know if I meant to say that the way I said that. But... I, think, I think Brian has that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Can't say that. We can edit that out of there. Um <laughs> I, I I didn't like this music again. I grew up listening to whether it was uh, hip hop or rock or anything. It didn't matter if it didn't have an edge to it. I probably wasn't digging it at the uh, really in my life. Right. So I never found a place in my life for Poison. Although I, I again I know 
probably 15 of their songs because when it gets programmed into your brain because of MTV and all this other stuff, you know, and not to mention if you're at a party that are at a rock party or something like that with your friends, you're going to have to throw on something from this or something from this or you won't get any, the ladies aren't going to stick around because, you know, you can't really, you can't, you know, play altar of sacrifice so many times before the girl wants to walk out of the house. So, you know, I, I'm, I didn't really love this album at all. I, I hated it. I didn't really love what they, what they stood for uh, because of the, the confusion I had in my brain that I, I had to listen to a specific kind of music or, or else I probably was going to be looked at in a specific way. You know, that's just the way teenagers are, but um, I didn't love it, but I can I can appreciate it now, knowing that it was pretty much the pinnacle of party rock. And I know glam is something that is applied to this band, but I don't think so for me. I consider them party rock, um, very much. You know, like um, what, what's that band? Um, uh, not the Darkness, but they're sort of in that vein. They're new, but it's all this sort of it's all sort of the same stuff, man. Just like real party rock, and and I get it. And again, it had a place because. The chicks weren't hanging out at your party for long if some of the some of the stuff wasn't being played. <laughs> the, this album, for me, I disliked um, only because at that time I was kind of just coming out and of the um, kind of hair metally Bon Jovi type stuff, and I was starting to get into some some more heavier stuff, I guess. And I don't know for some reason I just went the other way with this band when I saw them on MTV. I was like. I don't like this. I don't, I don't like anything about this. And I just rejected it totally. It took a few years and then all of a sudden I appreciated it. I've actually seen poison probably a half a dozen times, but that was probably 20 years after. Yeah. But probably (laughs) maybe 15, 20 years after that album came out when they, cause Brett likes the tour, man. So like he beats around all the time. I like live music and I would find myself at these concerts that was either, Poison with Rat or Poison with Def Leppard or Poison with Journey or Poison, you know what I mean? So I was always able to get to see somebody else and Poison happened to be there a lot. And I didn't mind it because like you said, it's party rock and it is. It's fun. I mean, it's fun. It's just, you know, silliness. The words are completely silly. You know, the music in general is, is simple and it's that's what makes it more fun than anything else. And that's why the image was so important for them at the time, because that was obviously the image they wanted to portray (laughs) for whatever reason. Um, And it worked obviously for a whole lot of people because the album was immensely popular. But um, for myself, I I was turned off by that whole image at the time. And then once it became, I guess, maybe more accepted, there was more of it. It was more, you know, I guess I started listening to it a little differently. Again, we're, you know, 13 years old here. So decisions you're making are probably changing weekly. They're sound, they're sound, they're sound decisions. (laughs) I like I like this album more than I would ever admit to when I was thirteen. I had right. it, I listened to it a lot. I don't think I ever took it out of the house in the boombox. I was <laughs> I was a closeted poison fan. There, I've said it, and I feel so much better now. But it, it wasn't the terrible. It, it wasn't any worse than anything else that was pumped out by MTV, and they were so heavily image driven that a lot of people took them as not that good of musicians. But, you know, C.C. DeVille went to the Juilliard School of Music and he he was a very accomplished player. He didn't do much with it. I shouldn't say that. They sold millions of albums, but Mm -hmm. I liked him. I dug him. He's definitely their ace, really. The ace, really, of Poison, for sure. Right. Right. (laughs) The 
Ace freely of poison. <laughs> I'll take Which, that. I'm so sorry, Ace, but yeah, I I I feel like that that's the case. And and I think back then was when the the first realization um, came to me that women will actually find a man who is trying to look like a woman attractive. And I don't know what that says about women at the time. Maybe vain. Maybe they were. Maybe there was just sort of like because ambiguousness has always sort of been a kind of catchy thing in in, in rock and roll, like the David, New York Dolls and shit like that. There's a lot David, of uh, rock David Bowie. Yeah, there's a lot of folks that sort of toe the line in certain in terms of sexuality and stuff like that because that was always a part of their music. Not that that fucking means anything about you know, regardless of what they are as a person, but uh, the music was sort of interwoven and all that. And but that wasn't what you were getting with good old poison. Uh, you know, they were they were just they looked like chicks and they were they wanted to bang all of your chicks and they were going to do that. And they uh, they probably did too. So. They did, and they got yeah. a big bust and they shared lipstick and you know whatever. I I I can see now because even my wife is a is a fan. And again, I like I said, I can see now why it was it was big. But even back then. You know, Hidden Lake, any of the places we hung out, if it was jamming, no one was claiming to be the person who put the tape in the tape deck. Uh, no one was going to say, put on poison, dude, freaking, you know, lick them and smoke or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like there's, you don't, no one was ever saying that, but there were plenty yeah. of friends that we knew that liked them, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, they were pretty freaking popular. So they were. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's 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 go into a slightly different direction and get into a, a mildly misogynistic classic, yes. Beastie Boys, "License to Ill." This album, oh my God, come on! Uh, it, it it was such a eye opening album for a 12, 13 year old white Jewish boy in Miami <laughs> to, to know these guys were Jewish and just doing this was awesome to me. And I was just kind of introduced to the rap thing and it just, this was different and fun. And we listened to this stuff and when I was in Boy Scouts and we would yes. be driving to our campsites and not driving because we were too young, but our parents had in their cars, you know, our parents were cool enough. Jay's pop, or my and pop, I mean, you know, Brian's, all of our parents were, they were, well, Brian's dad was always country. That's why no one wanted to drive a Brian's dad because it was always country in, in the Bronco. But in the other cars, they'd let us pop this stuff in. And I just remember that was where I think I heard the most of this album were the drives to and from our campsites. Um, and then eventually I bought this tape and just listened to it till literally I, I broke it. The tape broke because it got listened to way, way, way too much. I love this album beginning to end. It's so much fun. There's a lot of issues um, obviously with the band and this album because of what happened through production and, and rights. And they'll, you know, if you ever get a chance on Apple, that the, the documentary, the beasties documentary is spectacular. Oh, you got to see that. It's awesome. It's just the two of them talking to you through the whole timeline. So worth it. Um, but, but this to be the, the first rap LP to ever top the billboard charts um, really said a lot about how the album played out. Um, not just to the little, you know, white Jewish boys in Miami, but all over the country. I had sold, you know, 9 million albums. That it, it just, it blew up, completely blew up. And and the sound was a little something different in, in you know, songs like um, Don't Sleep Till Brooklyn and, and areas where we got to get a little bit of, uh, especially with Slayer doing, you know, Carrie King doing the guitar parts. 
that added a little something for us rockers too that we really liked and it the the elements blended well and again timing it's just something with 86 and these albums coming out at that time where people really were feeding into this and looking for this kind of music and this kind of sound and things that were changing stuff up a little bit and 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 that that difference that change was, was seen firsthand definitely in this album and i mean i know i know jay really liked this album this was something that i i i know him and i would would play constantly so what what do you think about this one jay Victor Nelson is the one that brought this on the Boy Scout camp out. That's who it was. It, nice. we, we, we went to the Keys and Ed, Ed just got the uh, the Buick, which had the subwoofer hidden somewhere in it. And yeah, there were, there, were, there were six Boy Scouts and my dad driving. And we, we were in the Keys and we came to a stoplight and there were like four girls in a convertible Mustang next to us and <laughs> girls came on. And there's like five Boy Scouts sing, like screaming at these poor <laughs> girls. Ah! But yeah, it was, it was a great album. And you used the word fun. You used the word fun to describe this and to describe the Poison album. Right. It was just, it was lighthearted. It was, it, it was an easier time. I don't know what, what, what it was, but it was, it was just party music. It wasn't serious. It wasn't singing about guns and killing or anything like that. It was just a bunch of drunk frat boys, basically, making an album. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, man, you know, considering that that was the follow-up, you know, to this, it's such a different record, but they, Beastie, they just kind of went on this massive evolution, man. I think any, but we can actually dedicate an entire show to the Beastie Boys, if I'm being honest, it would be super right. easy to do it. Um, right. This, this album in particular is considered sort of like the infant version of the B-Boys, if we're being honest. I mean, a lot of people don't really know, um, that uh, they were a punk band. And if you watch that documentary, you will get a, the big information about all that. I actually have yep. the Polywog Stew EP. I listened to that along right right around the time I heard Beastie Boys because I knew they were punk and I was a big punk fan. But there's a lot of stuff on here, man. Groundbreaking shit that went on for years. Um, you know, like just just the, the beats and everything for all this is just so super classic, and, man. And, and sampling little, Led Zeppelin. Right. right. The, the drum intro to... Whatever that was, when the I believe breaks. you, uh, rhyming and stealing. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say. <laughs> like, it's when the yeah, it's the when the levee breaks by Zeppelin, but and that little uh, that little doobie there on the right side, you know, that was sort of like the little tongue in cheek joint being put out uh, that a lot mm -hmm. of people really yep. didn't talk about, and right, um, you know, it, it was it was a big spark, and I think watching and the, the eat me license plate too. Yes, the right, eat me yes. the airplane. <laughs> Everybody right, wanted yeah. to know what the what the words were. The letters. Like, there are no call letters there for sure. Right. Um, a great, a great record. And again, I, I, the the one thing that I love most about it is what it what it started for the band because it's yeah. not the it's not the it's not the record I love the most from them by any means. Right. That, what I just showed Me you, them at the, I agree. At the one at the clip we just showed from the Cameo Theater in Miami, that was the I think that was the Check Your Head tour, and they were playing uh, High Plains Drifter from um, from Paul's Boutique. Paul's Boutique, which is my favorite. Right. I think a lot of B boy great fans will say the same thing about it, but. Right. Crazy stuff, man. Lots of good stuff, man. Yep. Uh, and, and going in another different direction, because that's what we're going to do on this show. We like to do that. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Hey, Slayer, okay, okay. Rain and Blood. <laughs> um, what a freaking groundbreaking album. We talked about this in depth uh, when we put them up against Metallica, not to uh, the last episode that we did that. 
but this album is just a classic from beginning to end. Uh, like I said, we went into it real deep, so I'm not going to go deep into it. But, you know, there's a song on here that eventually was uh, uh, sampled by uh, Public Enemy. And, you know, Rick Rubin is a connection between this and this because Carrie King from this band was playing the lead guitar in You've Got to Fight for Your Right. Uh, the video for for uh, Beastie Boys. So there was a big connection between these two albums uh, and the label in, in general. Uh, and Slayer is the band that I've seen the most. Myself and this badass right down there have gone to 15 shows at least uh, to see this band. So this is a groundbreaking record, and uh, I love it to death. It's definitely one of my favorites from that year. This album I didn't listen to a lot when it first came out because I, I wasn't quite into Slayer um, at that time. But it's an album I, you know, as we spoke about last week, that I got back back to kind of working backwards with Slayer. Um, fantastic album if you like that kind of sound and that kind of speed. Uh, it's fun uh, for me because I like hearing that difference of pace. I guess from what we were, what I was listening to, because I guess I was probably a couple years behind. So I was probably listening to this in, in 88, but um, even still young and, and you know, the impression of the sound that you're listening to and when you're hearing it coming at you like this, it's it's different. And I think at first it turned me off a bit. It was just like, that's why, what is that? That's, I don't know fast. what they're saying. I don't know what they're, that's, that's I don't like that. But um, once I, oh. I kind of got a little bit more to understand musicians in, independently, like what a guitarist actually is doing, what a drummer is actually doing, as I was trying to learn very poorly how to play drums, I had a better appreciation for musicians. And once I was able to do that, I think then I looked at all bands differently. And that was the first thing that I was impressed with with Slayer was just like, how do you do that, man? How do, how do you play like that fast, that long? So that I was more impressed with before the actual music. And then the music kind of came along with it. And as far as Slayer is concerned, this album is, is great. It's a pinnacle. And yeah, I, did get in, I didn't get into them at first. I think Brian turned me on to them mm -hmm. later on because they, they were too fast and it, I couldn't understand what he was saying. And I, I'm more liked, you know, the slower, the maidens and the priests and the Aussies. But it's, it is the undeniable masterpiece of thrash metal that everything will always be compared to and will always fail when compared to. Yep, 100%. And I guess if we're going to talk about them, we can get into that real quick, uh, the intensity that they share. <laughs> is it the cameo? Oh, nice. You bet. Top-notch recording. Down, sir. Sit down, please sit down, sir. Down up front. That was a great night. <laughs> what a great night! On top of that, you always know it's a bootleg from the These cameo when, when the ginormous friggin' disco balls disco in the center ball, of your. <laughs> uh, it ruined many a bootleg shot, but. Uh, uh, you know, interestingly enough, the guy who shot that video, I just found his YouTube channel and was it was able to just go through dozens and dozens of Miami, Florida concerts. It was amazing. But yeah, that is from the very first show myself and Jay attended uh, for Slayer. And it's set uh, set forth uh, decades of us going to hunt them down whenever they came around. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely one of the greatest bands in, in history to me. But there was also another another uh, band that was doing very well. That was the result of another band that did very well. And uh, Ken, let us know what you think about Eat 'Em and Smile. 
Oh man, this album right here. This is so this is the debut album for Van Halen's frontman, David Lee Roth, after that <laughs> amicable split between him and, and Van Halen. Um, so David didn't even want to go do music after that. He was ready to do a movie. CBS movie studio had crazy from the heat ready. Our money was there. He was already putting it together. Stuff was invested and they pulled the plug. CBS just pulled the plug on the whole movie studio, not on just his movie. CBS movie studio shut down. Everything done, everything he was working on to be the movie star that Diamond Dave always wanted to be shot. So at the time he said, all right, well, we had a lot of music because they did produce some music for the movie that they would now turn into Eat Em and Smile. And in doing that, they wanted to, you know, there was no way David was going to go out there, which is any guitarist after his previous band had Eddie Van Halen. So he had to really search for this, but ultimately what he found in Steve Vai, I mean, oh my God, like anybody that listens to this album will, will understand. And, and for me, what was big about it is the fact that David Lee Roth, so just all about him, was really able to let the musicians on this album perform and really let everyone hear what these guys could do. He just let them go. Some of their, there's solos where you don't need solos, but they do it and it fits <laughs> and it might just be a few seconds, but it's badass. And it could be a bass solo, a guitar solo. These guys are fighting. I mean, Billy Sheenan, I mean, he's a, he, underrated behind C. Vi. This guy's an insane bass. I shouldn't say underrated. He's not underrated. He's an insane bassist. And even Bissette was a, a classically cl- cl- trained drummer. The, this was an insane band to go to be behind David Lee Roth at the time. No doubt, one hundred percent. I'm not going to play that because it's a video. Okay, but just so wanted to show the picture. All right, quick, so, you know. but yeah, I mean, I, and and the more that I you listen to the album, the more you hear like the big band influence to it as well. And even with cover songs that they play on there, um, and some that are albums like songs to me, like I thought Tobacco Road was a cover, and Tobacco Road is that's Dave, that's their song. You know, that's that's an incredible song. You get songs like Shy Boy and Elephant Gun, which are just absolute, just speed all the way through. Big Trouble, which is a very Van Halen, very fair warning kind of feeling, you know. And and then to end it with with That's Life, uh, you know, Sinatra's tune in his own right. And Diamond Dave kind of playing to it the way he needs to. And and that's his ego at the end. So he gets to stroke Mm -hmm. that to end the album. For If you got 30 minutes, because that's all this is, it's 10 songs in 30 minutes. It's worth a listen. It's fun. You know, you might you might skip through one or two. Um, Ladies Night in Buffalo, honestly, is an incredible song. Just probably just it's an it's a piece isn't of art. It, isn't it, it's a piece of it art. Ladies Night in Buffalo? Because it ended with a question <laughs> it mark. It is a question mark at the end of that. There's such a thing as Ladies Night but, in Buffalo? Right, but I if you listen to the song, I don't know who he's do asking. It. But it is a song that they wrote when they were in Manhattan, actually. So it was, uh, it, it, I know that's not where Buffalo is, but it's the same state. And uh, for whatever reason, that that's how that worked out. This was actually a fun album for me to research, I have to say, because th- it was it was a big part of, of my growing up as well. This album came out sixth grade for me, going into seventh grade. And at that time, that meant uh, elementary school to middle school or junior high at the time. So I took summer classes and just to get used to the school. It was my mom's idea. And I remember sitting in art class, just writing the words to Yankee Rose, just on paper, just because I knew all of them by heart that I could just write the words to Yankee Rose. I was actually doing it to impress a chick, but but I did it and I loved it. The album was so much fun. Fun. It is a fun, fun album. Very lighthearted, very party oriented. You don't know if he's singing about cars or 
guitars or women or vacation spots, except Buffalo. We know where that is. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great album. It's short and it smelled like grape. I don't know if you remember that. When you open you know what? the cassette, I do remember it, that. Yeah, there was there was a couple I remember. Yeah, yes, maybe that had was an on overwhelming grape fragrance. And it was one of the first clear tapes, too. So you get I'll all tell the you information what, here. When it comes with the, yeah, it's UCSP. We got it all over here, man. <laughs> when it when it comes to this record, it, it, you know, David Lee Roth and MTV were made for each other. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you guys something real quick. Are both of you huge or, or very big fans of Van Halen, the David Lee Roth era of Van Halen? I wouldn't say huge. I, I mean, like fanatic, no, but I'm a big fan of Van Halen with David Lee Roth, definitely. The, the crazy thing is, they had their best years and the only years that they had. Well, they, they got together again, but they were already huge by the time this album came out because obviously he broke up and, and started his own shit, David Lee Roth, yada, yada. But right. it's insane to think that when we were 13 years old, Van Halen had already been dissolved. Mm-hmm. Like, done, already done. And this sure. guy is going on. And, and like, so it was just so it's crazy to think about that because wait a minute, how, how am I consciously jamming out to Van Halen from like nine to 13? Well, we were. We yeah. all were. It That's was just true. such. There was such a big band, and for DLR to come out and do what he did, and actually a lot of his uh, "Slam Dunk" is one of my favorite songs from from the DLR band, and that's probably I don't know, maybe. 10, 15, 20 years ago or something like that. But he did a lot of pretty good stuff solo, I think. Um, and it, and and he's obviously not the greatest singer, but it wasn't ever about that, man. It was always about his charisma and his delivery. It's a showman. And, right. He was definitely the greatest, one of the greatest showmen. But uh, speaking of which, you know, let's go ahead and talk about sort of what happened after he left Van Halen. <clears throat> Look at that, how that lined up so nicely. It's crazy. Segway. It's almost like that shit was planned. But almost. if we're talking about a stupid successful album we're definitely talking about this one good enough why can't this be love get up dreams summer nights best of both worlds forget about it love walks <laughs> in so many times 5150 inside the just the sheer amount of tracks this particular album put out was insane i don't i don't uh I don't think I gave it credit because, again, I think Jay pointed this out last time he was a, a guest of ours. He, he said that I'm a purist. Um, I don't love Kiss past uh, the four members. Um, you know, there's there's lots of bands. Slayer, for instance, I, I'm not going to say I don't love them, but I stopped listening and I stopped buying records from them. If Dave Lombardo wasn't on that record, I probably didn't buy it. So I'm a bit of a purist when it came to that. So when when Sammy Hagar became the lead singer of Van Halen, I was like, dude, screw that, dude. And they started hitting us with these very uh, poppy love songs, and I didn't get it at the time. I didn't like it. It didn't seem like the Van Halen I remember. So I think I moved on from them. And like a lot of things, um, I think I just had to mature as a person before I could really respect and understand what Sammy Hagar was for this band. And Sammy Hagar was the absolute biggest friggin' life preserver for, mm-hmm. a, for a rock band you could possibly ever think of. And I know we could probably think of a couple different examples, but if, if, if he didn't save Van Halen, then I don't know who did because this music and the stuff that they did was fucking phenomenal, man. And, and I just didn't love it because, you know, I, I, I you know, I wanted to hear, you know, DLR like screwing up his lyrics and it just seemed more real. But when we're talking about really good music being put together and and put together well and sung well in concert almost all the time, 
Sammy fucking delivered, man. So props to them for, for you know, like most of the things uh, that I didn't give a chance to back when I was a stubborn ass 13 year old. Um, you know, I, I had to look back on this and say they did some pretty, they did some great stuff. I'm not going to give it too much credit, but they did some really good stuff. This album to me, I just I wanted to to burn Sammy Hagar's hair every time I saw him running across the stage anywhere, running Jealous. in front of yeah, running in front of you know my boys, man, and, and running on a stage where David Lee Roth is supposed to be with these guys. I uh, you talk about purists, and I think with this band at that time, I was kind of there, so um, I couldn't give this this album a chance when it came out, and it came out at the same time that what we just talked about, Eat 'Em and Smile. And Eat em and Smile, what I was getting was a lot more of guitar and bass and solos and rocked, man. And this album, again, musically, is incredible, but it's more synthesizer. And Eddie's playing with some different sounds that are just more poppy and fluffy. And it just it didn't hit as hard as like I thought Eat em and Smile did. Now, you know, retrospect once again from younger to older, um, this is a sick album. I mean, 5150 just delivers song after song. And, and again, these are time-tested songs. These are songs that are still good today. Um, and that's why it, it was something that, again, it was all about me just not at the time being a fan of, of Sammy Hagar in particular. Um, but it's a great album. I will also say it is the only album that I like from Van Halen and the Sammy Hagar days. I mean, they could, they could screw off after this foreign lawful called knowledge. All that, I don't even know, whatever. They're all terrible. All of Not them. A fan of, blue, you don't like all the pound crap, cake? That's all garbage, garbage, garbage. 5150, I'll give it to them. That album, very good album overall looking back now. Um, but there's nothing after that I liked. And if you hear that man sing now, Sammy Hagar, this little Cabo Wabo thing, I just heard him on Sirius Satellite. They did some concert. And he was singing up there. Oh my God, I couldn't turn the, the shit off fast enough. It was like a terrible, terrible Dude, sound. Listen, terrible sound. Was, it was like strangling was an a, ostrich or something. It was, what are you doing? I can, can't seven, hear this on the radio. Six years old. Come but on. stop singing, dude. Bring somebody else up there that could sing your songs or something, man. Nobody needs to hear that. Terrible. Sorry, don't like That's it, Sammy. Point. Yeah, tell us how you That's feel. That's my point. Yeah, this was, this was Van Halen's, 5150 was like Van Halen's first grown-up album. Like you said, it was yeah. very keyboard, very pop oriented, very radio oriented. They got a lot of airplay with 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 1984, and they wanted more, so they continued in that direction. And this this was the first Van Halen album I ever purchased with my own money. I knew who Van Halen was. I just never bought albums before then. But I remember right. I, you I, seeked I, this album out and gave it I your money. It, well, I got it for Christmas. I got this and um, Journey's Greatest Hits and State of Euphoria for Christmas. Wow, so, what a contrast. Great. I think it, this this great great album, great album. It was their like I said, their first grown up one. They went to college, and Dave stayed in high school. Kept going back to the high school to hang out with the high school kids, kind of like someone I know. So, <laughs> Wooderson, and you know, again, yes, I would exactly. <laughs> I meant me, I, but Wooderson. <laughs> all right, all right. I keep I, getting honestly, older. I, they stay the stay same, the same age. age. Yes, they um, <laughs> it was definitely a little bit too of a mature, too much of a maturity for me. But I do, I do think, and again, it gives me a chance to say this: Michael Anthony is the Richie Sambora of Van Halen. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, oh my God. Yes. Nice. His, th his, good that you said that. Very. His harmony. Yeah. His harmonies and his backing vocals. Unbelievable. And his bass. Yeah. Yeah. 
Dude, the singing, just, seriously, just the singing, dude. If that guy just sat back there like, ooh, you know, like just fucking was a backup singer for Van Halen, it would be insane because he is so good. Eddie did lend a lot to that as well, and they both had very similar voices. But, dude, there was just something about that, eh, like, and I'm not going to try it. I'm just saying that he had like a horn voice where it cut through every time. It was fucking amazing, man. Uh, hey, Andrew, take care, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, I, I didn't give it a lot of credit again. I'm not going to either because uh, I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna stand by that. I think it was a, a mature album for the time. Uh, I just wasn't ready to do so. Uh, but so, let's, let's get on to the next one. So you weren't able uh, to do so, were you? Well, Peter Gabriel was able to do so five times platinum with this album, and this is a guy who really at this time was was fusing rock with pop and soul elements of traditional world music i mean he had everything going and to start this album with red rain oh my god like you, you don't have to listen to anything else if you don't want to but red rain obviously sledgehammer uh it, that reached number one on the billboard chart for a long time and stayed there the album was nominated for a grammy that year and he only lost to, to paul simon <laughs> so, i mean it, it, this this was an album that at that i don't think i was ready for at that age you know um it was still you know sledgehammer with there's videos so you're watching it i never turned it off or said i hate this it was a little different or whatever i think i appreciated it somewhat but um certainly as i got older i got to appreciate him and a hundred percent after i saw say anything i got to appreciate at least that song, uh, you know, that that's iconic. John Cusack with the boombox, you know, holding it up to Ioni Sky's window, playing in your eyes. Any of you that have never seen the movie say anything are all sitting there going, I know what the hell you're, you're talking old, about. But I, I mean, old. there's like, the, the, I saw a t-shirt at, uh, at Target with this Cusack holding the boombox up. So it's like, I knew what that meant. It's like, did everybody know that? It's like a thing now. But I mean, I, <laughs> anyway, so that was, uh, you know, that was obviously the, the popular song uh, to be used in that movie and great movie, by the way. And um, oh, yeah, but 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 this was an album I think I listened to and, and appreciated more a few years later, I would say probably in my college years. Um, so that would have been whatever, seven years after this album even came out. Um, but being able to go back and listen to it this past week again, uh, just not being sure which out al- which songs were on this album. I really appreciate it. It's a fun album. Definitely. And I know he's fun a lot with music. I just, I enjoy fun music. What can I say? But, but this Best one in guy. particular, this one in particular, um, I liked listening to and actually listened to a couple times. There it is. There's my boy. John. Like the heat. <laughs> I only sky boy. Ooh, yes. That was Let's another reason and... to watch the movie. <laughs> Does anybody know who married? I only sky. Uh, one of the beasts. Uh, uh-huh. Anthony Kiedis eventually, right? Ad Rock actually Ed did. Rock, yeah. Really? Yeah, Ad Rock was married to her. Matter of fact, they did, didn't they do a really horrible movie together? Um, uh, Probably. God, it was talked about in in that documentary. Uh, if you listen to what Ad Rock, remember he was in that car and he had to act all cool. Remember that doc? That oh part yeah. Of the docu- oh, okay. That's the movie they're talking about with Ioni Sky. Oh, yeah, right, that man. huge, huge pop culture <laughs> reference, man. Definitely. Excuse me. Uh, Excuse me. This this part, <laughs> like, if. Let me tell you, man, uh, and you know what's funny, and I think there was a story behind that. I think I read John Cusack actually picked a Fishbone song that he wanted to play, and and I believe John Hughes was like, no, we're going to roll with the... Uh, and you go with anything that John Hughes says. Yeah, and, and it was just, it, it, that catapulted it. I mean, it was, and it became symbolic, you know, and whenever you, and I think whenever I hear that song, for sure, I'm thinking of Cusack. 
I don't know if that's a John Hughes movie. I think that's Cameron Crowe, actually. Actually, my bad. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, I think Cameron Crowe did did say anything. I was looking at a couple different articles here, and and I just remember him saying that uh, he was kind of tired of hearing everyone thinking that he chose that when it was because he was a fucking punk rocker. (laughs) I tried to get Fishbone on there. I didn't want want Peter Gabriel. God, Peter Gabriel, though. I think I just assume Cusack is involved. Honestly, he's in every huge film. That's why I went with you at first, and then I was like, oh, wait, hold on, man. I don't know. My Sorry. bad. My brother, my brother oh. would, have, would have pinched me for that one. But all right, hey, yeah, we got it corrected. Jay, do you have any memories of so? Just the funny videos. Hi there. Sledgehammer. Just the it's going to be cold. That's all he said. Jay's going to go the- <laughs> Jay with the weather. <laughs> it's cold. All right. Very good. Ollie. Very nice. Very nice. Well, uh, let's move on. That's pastor of Muppets, <laughs> oh, the old man, pastor no. of Muppets, man. We spoke about this one last week too. In length, yeah. I don't want to say ad nauseum, but it was definitely at length. There's so many songs on here that I'm in love with, and uh, we, like I said, we talked about it. It's just, it's just insane. It's just another one of those additions to a, a ridiculous year packed with amazing hits. Uh, right. uh, Ken, man, anything else you want to add to Master of Puppets? God, I don't know if there's anything I can add after I said last week. I mean, this is this is a great pinnacle album for me, a huge album, great album. We don't need to go over it all again. We've yeah. said it all. We said it a lot. Much. If you didn't watch, watch last week's show, and you'll hear everything we got to say about Master of Puppets. It's awesome. Damage Incorporated. Yes. All right, Ken, man. Go. Dun, dun, Jump dun, right dun. into something we didn't talk about last week. That's Ozzy Osbourne, Ultimate Sin. This album, I loved, and it was an album that – from Ozzy, Bark at the Moon, Incredible Sound, Jakey Lee, I mean, again, got to really throw what he could do again. He absolutely shreds on this album. And, uh, you know, Ozzy does his thing and has songs that I don't even think he had anything really to do with. You know, Phil Susan wrote most of this stuff, and he didn't even play bass on a lot of this. And that was a big fight over it. To this day, Ozzy says this is his least liked album, and I think it has a lot to do with the crap behind the scenes and that yes. he really didn't play a huge part of the artistic side of putting this album together other than showing up and singing. And at the end of the day though, it fit <laughs> and it worked. So for, for the fan, we were just like, hell yeah. Cause it was just such a great album. Um, they didn't even need Ozzy for a lot of it. He was in rehab for <laughs> most of when all this album even started getting put together. It's like, all right, you're out here. This is what you're doing. This is what we're going with. It's all good. And then all the fighting and Sharon blew up on Jake. And we all know kind of how that played out. It got ugly. Um, but you can't deny what this album has on it. Just as a fan, I mean, it's incredible. Song after song. He, he, he dressed pretty funny during that period. Though. He's a silly old man, no doubt. He was, yeah. no sparkly. Doubt. He was sparkly back then. But he's just out of rehab, too. So, you know, now you've yeah. got a sober, kind of bewildered old dude that doesn't, he's not even that old there, but he's still just kind of wandering around like he's 87 and, you know, he's in a 45 year old's body. But, the, you know, the, this music is great. Lyrically, it's fantastic. It's just, it, it's so good to, just to be able to sing along to the music that's with this. And again, Jakey Lee absolutely shreds on the album. It's a lot of fun to listen to, again, beginning to end. Bark at the Moon and this album are my two absolute favorite Ozzy Osbourne albums, you know, hands down for me. Thank Fuck you. what Ozzy says. Jakey Lee is by far my favorite Ozzy um, guitarist other than Randy Rhodes, obviously. Okay, 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 okay. I'm, okay. I'm glad you made that little hint. I'm not just saying that out of respect for Randy. The guy was a fucking beast, you know, yes, and, and yeah. anyone who saw him knew that. So, yes, he's the, the greatest, but Jake... Right. Jake had an impossible thing to do, as did Brad Gillis jumping right in 
um, after, uh, you know, after he, after Randy passed away and jumped into the speak, the devil tour and all that stuff and, 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 and tried to tried to do what Randy did and did a great job. But Jakey Lee, man, he just came up with some great shit. He was actually, mm-hmm. uh, I believe Badlands was the band he was in, uh, before he was with Ozzy and wasn't Michael Bolton, the singer of that, or that no, was blackjack. I don't, re- I don't recall, but, uh, one of his solo songs was, uh, one of my, my, my marriage songs. So Jakey Lee's a badass man. I love him. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. say you, Jay. You got any memories of this album? My favorite Ozzy album because it was the first one that I got into that was new. I knew of his previous stuff, but that was the new. And yeah, Killer of Giants, uh, Fool Like You, Secret Losers, just just great songs. Not the best recording, but a great, great album that you just put on start to finish and listen to it. Totally. Entire album. It's all Killer good. of Giants, man. Killer of Giants. Yeah. Still, yeah, still my favorite. All. Yeah, there's and and he kept the little the the uh, amazing album uh, album cover rolling with yeah. this, this. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like a little cheesy. Was, uh, what what I'm saying is like the art. It had to be big back then. Yes. In, yeah. In no, we're in the right. midst of all this. You know, excess, excess. That's what the '80s were right. all about, right. by far. Yeah. And as you can see on on Ozzy's face, he had some excess himself. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, got out good. of rehab, like you said, gained some pounds and. Mm-hmm. He, that's why they give him big long robes yes. like they did to Elvis. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a big fucking reason for that. But uh, but so those were the ten albums that we chose, guys. And uh, for everybody that came to, to to watch live, thank you so much. Anybody who's watching this after we are live, thanks for checking this out. Uh, there were so many other albums that we had that that mm-hmm. are on this list for '86. Um, we've got some runners up actually. Uh, Somewhere in yes. time, the mm-hmm. Iron Maiden. Uh, it's a good album, definitely not the greatest in my opinion, but a good album. There's a couple cuts off there that are very memorable. Uh, that that I I love. Uh, what what say you guys? Stranger in a Strange Land, love that song. I find some al- some songs on that album just un you can't even listen to them. They're just not. I don't. They don't play them live. There's a reason. They're they're just terrible songs. I'm sorry. I love Iron Maiden, but there's just songs on that album. I, it would be very low on my list of, of Maiden albums if, if ranked. Uh, but Stranger is is one of my favorite Maiden songs all the way, you know, top to bottom. So that certainly yeah. stays above the rest in the, in this album to me. Not their best album, but perhaps my favorite again because it was the first new Iron Maiden material to come out. Um, sea of Madness is my favorite on the on the album. It's a good song. Nice. That's a good song. Got Journey, Raised on Radio, another great album on that year. Uh, Bad Brains, Eye Against Eye. And uh, who can forget? Yeah. On the ceiling. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it's just smooth stuff, man. Um, another pretty today. damn good album. Oh, yeah, Graceland. Great album. Did a lot of good stuff. Don't call uh, me out. Don't call him out, damn it. Uh, this is another one that, that did pretty decent. <clears throat> great album. Yeah. So such a great baseline that MTV stole it for stole it uh, for uh, everything. The news. The MTV news. <laughs> and, uh, That's what it was. was news. Yeah. Yeah. And this album right here, man, yeah, which, which you almost know, made the list. Little Susie. I mean, there's just a lot of pre modern day cowboy, good song. Yeah, a lot of pre love song stuff on that album. And that was that, was, that just, was their first album, correct? I believe it was, yeah, yeah, yeah because that's 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 what I consider the old Tesla because we kind of was yeah. love song was sort of our era, but yeah, by all means, this this record that was, was a good ridiculous. that was a that was a strong debut. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. What happened to Madonna? I thought we gonna throw True Blue up there. Come on, man, True Blue, we're yeah. Miami people, we're Miami folks. In in the essence of time, I said funk that. Oh, uh, come on, you know there. what? Hey, but you got to say with True Blue, come on, that album, no good. No good. That Papa don't, Papa don't preach is a far reach from my girl, the material girl. A far reach. She's I don't. She just completely went to a whole different level here. 
no good for me. No good. Sorry, Madonna went backwards with this album for me. That's all. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. No, you're right. You're right. I think I, I, don't, I don't give a fuck either way, man. I, I, think, she, I, <laughs> I think we're talking about uh, a, was, an image change that she had that she kept going through. The 80s were her fucking cocoon, basically. She made all of her money there. And yeah. then, well, I, I guess maybe not in the 90s. She just kept going. Actually. She still killed yeah. it. She was Always. a beast, man. She was awesome. She was, she was one, of a kind, one of a kind. Yep. Well, anyway, guys, that's the show for tonight. I want to hey, thank everybody for coming and hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, exactly. Jay, thanks for hanging out with us, man. I and, appreciate uh, it. I'm going to have to make a quick getaway because of what we spoke about earlier. <laughs> All right. <laughs> have a good one, Jay. All hey, it's right, always guys. good to have a truck driver, man, on the show. The guy, you know, he's, he's always somewhere else. He was somewhere in bumfuck Arizona tonight. So it, it's kind of cool having him pop in from wherever the hell he might be. And the fact that he able he was able to figure out technology to actually do it, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm glad Jay's been Beautiful joining thing. us. Beautiful thing. All right, folks, we're out of here. Have a good night.